God's sovereignty over creation. That God made the earth, he feeds all the animals. God sustains everything that he creates. Everything that he has created, he sustains. And as I was reading that psalm over uh, Mary's shoulder, the unresponsive reading, I would just, you know, I always try to encourage us to do this as you read scripture, think about the words that you are uh, reading, think about what is being said, and that is the way to meditate on the word of the Lord. And as we're reading that psalm, I was just thinking all that the psalmist attests to that God has made, that God made the earth. He laid the foundations of the earth, that it should not be moved forever. He covered it with waters. You know, he caused the flood to come in Genesis, of course, and at his rebuke, they fled. And they went over down into the valleys. He says, you have set a boundary that they may not pass over, that they may not cover the earth. And when I think about that, I think about these uh, people who talk about climate change and that that the it's going to flood all the coastlines and all those things. Obviously, they haven't read that Bible. That'll mean that we don't steward the earth and you know, be good stewards of the earth that God has given us. But the way that they say things are going to happen goes against what Scripture says. God says he set a boundary that they may not pass over, that they may not return and cover the earth. Um, but those who deny the Bible uh, think otherwise. And how God takes care of the beasts of the field. You know, I always say out there in the middle of nowhere, you know, when you're out driving and you're out in the country somewhere and you see woods and forests everywhere, there are animals out there. And who takes care of them? God does. You know, that's just amazing to me. And, and, and because we, we read Psalms like this, we, it, you know, we hold God in reverence because he is the sovereign Lord over his creation and his providence in taking care of everything that he has created, even us. Uh, God created us and he, he sustains us. He gives us bread. Um, he gives us the ability to work. And so we praise the Lord for this word this morning. Let us go on to prayer as we meditate on, on this these truths that we just read and heard. Father, my heart is full right now as I'm thinking about the song we just read about your sovereignty over creation and your your providential care and how you care for all your creation uh, by your providence how you made the heavens and earth you are clothed with honor and majesty Lord you support the beams of the upper chambers you laid the foundation of the earth you created the waters that cover the earth you created the islands and the big giant land masses that we that we live on you set a boundary Lord that uh, waters will not pass over and that waters may not return to cover the earth you give drink to every beast of the field the birds of the heavens find their home that sing among the branches the water flows from the highest peaks down into the valleys providing water and food for all animals and vegetation below you cause grass to grow for the cattle, vegetation for man. And Lord, you give us everything to make our hearts glad and to strengthen our heart. 
You provide the trees for us to get food from and for other animals to get food from. Lord, you appointed the moon for seasons. You appointed the time that the sun rises and sets. Lord, even animals that are nocturnal, that operate in the night, you provide a way for them to be able to operate uh, that way. Lord, when I read all of this, I consider how great you are. I consider how worthy you are of our praise. And Father, we praise you this morning because you are the sovereign God who created us as man. Though we live in a world, Lord, that rejects you, that rejects your truth, as it has been revealed in your word, Father, we as believers, we as people of the book, will continue to hold forth to your truth. That you created, that you are the sovereign. And Lord, because you created, you have the absolute authority to determine what is true, what is right, what is wrong, and what is false. You have the power of creating distinctions, not us. So, Father, as a church this morning, as believers, let us hold forth to your truth without fear, without being afraid of, of uh, reactions, without being afraid of man's reaction to your truth. Well, help us hold forth to the truth that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And Lord, we see all throughout the Genesis account, your fingerprint over all that you have created, your design, your will for man, your will for animals, your will for the earth. And Lord, may we as a church, may we as your people, Hold forth to those precious truths. Father, I pray for um, Brother Harvey that you be with him and Mr. Lois, that you be with them both fathers that are not here this morning. If they're sick and afflicted, Father, that you may heal them both. We pray for Melissa. She's down at home with her, her family members, that you be with her. As she continues, Lord, to um, read and study your word and not neglect the prayer closet. As, she's enjoy, as she enjoys time with her, her family. Lord, we pray for our uh, church members that work every day as I pray for them every day, Father. That you continue to persevere them in their jobs. Give them gospel perseverance and gospel endurance and and may their lives be a gospel witness to their co-workers, to their supervisors, to their bosses, managers, whatever the titles may be. That you continue to protect them as they drive back and forth to work. We pray, Lord, for our children who are going to be out for school, uh, out from school this week for spring break, that they be good stewards of their time that you have given them, that they may steward their time well to your glory we pray father continually for our sister churches Anderson Bible Grace Fellowship Redeemer Christian Fellowship 
and our other uh, brothers, other churches that are involved with us at City First Baptist Lab or Mountain View Church to be with all of us as men this morning as we preach and labor in the gospel. Bless our churches, our congregations, that we continue to grow in grace, grow in fellowship with one another, grow in love toward each other as we seek to love and serve each other as the body of Christ. To know that we have a common Savior, that we're united through Christ, that we're all one with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for um, Ukraine and Russia and that conflict over there that is taking place, Father, that uh, by your grace, Lord, by common grace, that the conflict ends, that Russia ends their invasion of another country. And that, Lord, you may bring salvation to those people over there, to Vladimir Putin, to Zelensky over in Ukraine, and to others also, Father. And as we prayed last week, we pray this week, Lord, for the Christian churches over there that have not fled but have stayed, that you bless them and protect them over in Russia and Ukraine, but especially in Ukraine where they're being attacked. We pray for the church, Lord, to continue to persevere as they seek our prayers. That the gospel may proliferate, that the gospel may spread, and their souls may be converted unto you. We pray, Lord, also that you protect the church from persecution, but that you save their persecutors also. Father, we pray for the ministry of the word this morning as we turn to part two of our series in this final chapter in Nehemiah. As we looked at how the ministers, the servants of God were not taken care of and look into our own hearts and, and, and see um, where we fall short looking at the drastic measures that Nehemiah had to take. And Lord, may we examine our hearts. May we do self-examination. May we turn to you in repentance for any areas of sin in our life regarding uh, our stewardship and regarding your church. And Father, send your spirit to illuminate the truths that we hear this morning. May we see Christ in this passage. May we see the gospel in this passage. May you use it to your glory. And Lord, fill me with your spirit to preach it well. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. We're in Nehemiah, the 10th chapter again. And we're looking at uh, verses 10 through 23. So let us turn our attention to this passage this morning. I mean, this is the second part of our uh, series on the final chapter in Nehemiah. Last week, we looked at how the uh, 
the house of God is neglected and this week we want to look at uh, two other uh, principles God's servants being neglected and also the Lord's day being uh, misused so I'm going to begin reading from the uh, 10th verse of this 13th chapter and it reads as follows I also found out that the portion of the Levites had not been given to them so that the Levites and the singers who did the work had fled each to his field so I confronted the officials and said why is the house of God forsaken and I gathered them together and set them in their stations then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain wine and oil into the storehouses and I appointed as treasurers over the storehouses uh, Shelemiah the priest Zadok the scribe and Padaiah of the Levites and as their assistant Hanan the son of Zakur and Madaniah for they were considered reliable and their duty was to distribute to their brothers remember me O my God concerning this and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for his service in those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine grapes figs and all kinds of loads which they had brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day and I warned them on the day which they had sold food Tyrians also who lived in the city brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem itself then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them what is this evil thing that you are doing profaning the Sabbath day did not your fathers act in this way and did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath as soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath I commanded that the doors should be shut and gave orders that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath and I stationed some of my servants at the gates that no load might be brought in on the Sabbath day so I translate say no burden then the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice but I warned them and said to them why do you lodge outside of the wall if you do so again I will lay hands on you from that time on they did not come on the Sabbath then I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy remember this also in my favor O oh my God and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love man from reading that passage we can see that Nehemiah was upset he said he was going to lay hands on them and we know what laying we know what laying hands means right? <laughs> you know Nehemiah was was very upset and indignant but there was a a reason why again this is a continuation from last Sunday or the early part of this passage where uh, the house of God was, was neglected where uh, the high priest Elisha have, had given Tobiah a room 
in the temple and that caused uh, Nehemiah to be very upset and rightfully so why because he put him in the the storeroom uh, where all the wares went for them to to worship God so of course he was upset and rightfully so because Eliashib who was the high priest had caused the house of God to be defiled by allowing uh, this Ammonite uh, when the command had said that no Ammonite or Moabite should be among those people because they did not uh, help our Israel uh, when they needed it when they were in the wilderness and of course the Moabites because of uh, the prophet Balaam being hired to speak a curse against them so now we find ourselves with something else that's going on and of course just as a reminder the book of Nehemiah is the last book of the Old Testament in chronological uh, order and so we see after all the reforms that have taken place we see the people backsliding on the promises that they made you know the law was read they uh, renewed their covenant with God they had confessed all their sins they rededicated the wall and now we see all this taking place and that was of course disheartening to Nehemiah you know he had gone back to Artaxerxes you know, to serve him some more and word got back to him of what Eliashib had done and also some other things that had taken place and this is one of the things that we see uh, taking place so I have two questions here to uh, consider as we look at this passage and one of them is um, in many churches uh, the pastor most uh, often take a second job in order to make ends meet and what are the advantages or disadvantages to uh, such an arrangement you know that's that's something to to think about uh, that in a, in a lot of churches a pastor uh, has uh, to do that has to take a second job in order to uh, make uh, ends meet and the reason why it is is because a lot of churches are small and small churches are able to support their uh, pastor uh, full time uh, we have over 330,000 churches in America. I think the average attendance of most churches is about 100. You know, you have some outliers where you have larger churches like mega churches. You know, that's a mega church is considered a church with a thousand or more in attendance. And we don't have that many, even in Calhoun County. We have churches with a few hundred people. Uh, even among our sister churches, the largest one is, is Grace Fellowship, and they have about 300, 350. Uh, the rest of us are under uh, 100 in average, uh, you know, daily attendance. Uh, but for the most part, you have smaller churches that are not able to, you know, pay their pastor a full-time salary. Uh, there was one time where our church uh, was able to pay me more, uh, you know, years ago uh, when we were, you know, a little bigger. But I still had to, you know, take on a second job as to not be a, a burden to the church because you don't want to get to the point where, you know, the church is paying the pastor but they're not able to take care of bills and stuff like that and so that's why I, um, I had some other things that I was doing also uh, I never asked this church to pay me full time because I knew that would not be financially possible and that's something that I understand uh, but when I was able to do that I was able to spend more time you know in my office uh, studying I remember I did Bible study for Dale and Mary uh, on was it Thursdays 
uh, when they would come because they were working at nights and they weren't able to make it so I had time to do that but providentially God made it to where I didn't have to worry about doing that anymore uh, but just thinking about that question as a uh, consideration and then the second question to consider is because these questions deal with what we're going to talk about this morning do you think Christians should make Sunday a day of rest why why not and we're talking about day of rest it doesn't necessarily mean a rest from doing nothing that's what many people think about when they think about rest like a day to just sit back and just do nothing but we think about this in consideration when we look at uh, the Sabbath that the Jews uh, did where the Jews had to literally rest on the Sabbath that no work could be done at all uh, where that day which was on a Saturday uh, for the Jews where no work could be done uh, at all from sunup to sundown and that was the Sabbath for them of course we're Protestants we're not Jews uh, so we worship on the Lord's Day and the Lord's Day is not a Sabbath the Sabbath is Saturday and again that is for uh, Jewish people but just think about where our culture has gone uh, I remember I'm old enough to remember when you had so-called blue laws uh, where uh, they called them that uh, where certain things were not open on Sundays uh, certain events didn't take place on Sundays because they respected Sunday as a day of worship I remember you know now we have Sunday alcohol sales there was a time where that was wasn't even imaginable you know to think of stores selling alcohol on Sunday because there was a general Christian consensus in our nation and especially in the south or the Bible Belt or the buckle of the Bible Belt that that just wasn't heard of but because uh, municipalities counties and cities are run by people who don't uh, love the Lord but who are chasing any way to get tax dollars you know from that because it's all about money hey this state sells alcohol people drive all the way to Georgia from you know our part of Alabama to go get alcohol but they say hey we're losing money to Georgia why don't we legalize alcohol sales on Sunday so that we can keep some of that money in our state or in our county or in our city that was their pragmatic idea to start selling alcohol on Sunday so it was mainly move for what for money when that was wasn't even heard of 10 15 20 years ago uh, there were certain businesses that were not open on Sundays of course gas stations are in my hometown the grocery store wasn't even open on Sunday you know <laughs> the only thing that was open on Sunday was was like a gas station or something you would travel but there was literally nothing open on Sunday you know uh, when, when I was growing up in Tuskegee but now everything's open on Sunday uh, even certain travel sports that didn't used to have events on Sunday guess what now they have events on Sundays so that's something to uh, consider uh, also so that's what we're going to look at with our uh, text this morning so let's go ahead and look at our principles we have two main principles this morning that we want to look at the first principle is that God's servants are neglected and we see that uh, laid out here in verses 10 through 13 so again just looking at it Nehemiah says I also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them so that the Levites and the singers who did the work had fled to fled rather each to his field so what did Nehemiah do he confronted the officials he says why is the house of God forsaken 
and I gathered them together and set them in their stations. Then all of Judah brought the tithe of the grains, wine, and oil into the storehouses, and I appointed his treasurers. You know, he, he went on and appointed treasurers. So the first question he asked is, why is the house of God forsaken? Why was it being forsaken? Because the Levites and the singers, instead of serving in the temple, they had to go out and work. Why? Because the people were neglecting to take care of them. The Levites and the singers, they were to devote themselves entirely to spiritual work. And their upkeep was provided by uh, the people's regular gifts of a tenth of their income. And they had made a promise back in the 10th chapter. If you look at verses 37 and 39, they promised not to neglect God's house and to financially support the Levites and the singers. So if you look back at the 10th chapter where this is where they had rededicated uh, the covenant. They rededicated themselves rather to the covenant of God. If you look at chapter 10, verse 37, it says, And to bring the first of our dough and our contribution, the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil to the priests. And then verse 39, For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers, we will not neglect the house of God. Shortly thereafter, guess what? They neglected the house of God. It was broken. Their commitment was broken in a relatively short period of time. And this happened by what we call the sins of commission and omission. There are two ways to sin. As a reminder, you have sins of commission and omission. A sin of omission means you omit something. It means, and sin of omission is when you neglect to do something. You leave something undone that ought to be done. That's a sin of omission. The sin of commission, you get the word commit from. It's, it's a sin by something that you do. So in this case, the people had sinned by omission because they neglected to give to support the Levites and to support the gatekeepers and to support the singers. They, they neglected. It was an omission on their part, and it happened in a relatively short period of time. And so what happened as a result was the ministry of the temple was no longer effective within the spiritual life of Israel. Why? Because the people neglected to take care of those who were to take care of the temple. Malachi talked about this in his, in his prophecy. He talked about the triple danger of Israel's diminishing spiritual life because Jerusalem's spiritual life had become lax. And again, just as a reminder, uh, as I told you all last week, Malachi's prophecy took place around this same time that Nehemiah uh, was in uh, Jerusalem, in Israel. So his prophecy took place during this time period. So Malachi had prophesied about Israel's, uh, Israel rather becoming spiritually lax and that the priesthood was careless and that the Levites were unsupported. He described a time when spiritual leaders were content to give God less 
than the best. And this is what Malachi says in Malachi 1, verses 6 through 9. He says, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence? Says the Lord of hosts. To you priests who despise my name, yet you say, In what way have we despised your name? So God answers. You offered defiled food on my altar, but say, In what way have we defiled you? By saying, The table of the Lord is to be despised or, de or contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Of course not. That's a rhetorical question. Would he accept you favorably? Says the Lord of hosts. So what God was saying was, you're honoring your people, or I'm sorry, you're dishonoring your people, and you're also dishonoring me at the same time. He says, but now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us. While this is being done by your hands, will he accept you favorably? Says the Lord of hosts. God was letting them know that they were not giving him their best. And the question for us is that do we give the pursuit of pleasure or worldly pursuits our best while we offer God our leftovers. That's what Israel was doing. They were living their best life, as people would say, but they were neglecting God. They were neglecting their duty to God's servants. And this should cause us to consider our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ willingly gave his life for us, and he spared no expense in doing that. He gave all, and he saves to the utmost. His sacrifice was perfect, it was total, and it was complete. No one gave more than God, who gave his only son to save sinners from his divine wrath and to reconcile us to himself through the substitutionary atonement of Christ. No one gave more than God. So if no one gave more than God, why do we give God so little that's what God was saying to these people that's why Nehemiah was indignant with them that's why he was upset with them because they were giving God little which was neglecting uh, to serve to take care of rather their servants and Raymond Brown said this in his commentary on this chapter about uh, Nehemiah, uh, I'm sorry Malachi's passage he says Malachi's central theme is the non-payment of tithes. He pleads that these obligatory offerings for the upkeep of the Levites be brought to the temple. That's in Malachi 3. Nehemiah knew how crucial the Levites' work had been in teaching the word and as singers encouraging worship. Robbed of necessary support, these men had been compelled to go work on the land to maintain their families. With neglected teaching from the Levites and diminished worship from the singers, Jerusalem's spiritual life 
was impoverished. The people appointed by God to maintain high standards were no longer there to do so. It is little wonder that the laws about Sabbath were disregarded and those about marriage were ignored. And that's what Raymond Brown said uh, about what uh, Malachi said about what was going on in this passage in Nehemiah. That the people had robbed the Levites and the choir, the singers rather, of necessary support. And because of that, the worship of God had been diminished. And that is why Nehemiah again was so upset. That's why he asked the question, why is the house of God forsaken? Materialism had become their new God, the God of the people. They became more concerned about their own lives than about the lives of those who were serving in God's temple. And because they were neglecting this, the Levites were not able to minister the word to the people. And when God's, remember, this is at a time where they didn't have published Bibles like we do. Okay, there were only a few scrolls around that the Levites had to teach from. They didn't have like their private devotional time. They didn't have all these devotionals like we do. They didn't have their own individual uh, scrolls to read the law from, the Torah from. They didn't have all that. They had to be taught by the Levites. But if the Levites are out working, guess what? They don't have time to do what? Teach. That's why Nehemiah asked that question, why is God's house being neglected? When God's word is not read, studied, or taught, serious defects are bound to follow. That was the concern. They show indifference to God's word by not helping to take care of his teachers, his servants. They did it again by omission. When you omit to do something, you're saying just as much as when you do something. When we think about it in, on, on a practical level, when we neglect the prayer closet, we're saying that prayer is what? Not important. That's an omission. That's a sin of omission. When we neglect to read the word of God, we're saying that the word of God is not important, that it is not bread to our souls. That's a sin of omission when we omit doing something. We're saying just as much as if we committed something. And that's what these people were doing here. Everybody pleased themselves. And this was a recipe for moral, marital, and spiritual disaster. No wonder the people suffered spiritually because they neglected to do their duties. And so what happens to the mission of the church? What happens to the mission of God's people when regular systemic giving is neglected, just as we see here in this passage? Both locally and globally, the church can make great inroads if only there were sufficient resources. And it is not up to the government to provide those resources. There's never a time where the church should rely on the government for assistance. Because if you take the government's money, you have to do what the government says. Never, not through grants, 
or anything like that. The church should never take the government's money. It is the church's responsibility to take care of the church, not the government. It is the responsibility of Christians to give in such a way that the world can be saved by means of the gospel. That's why we're doing this fundraiser right here for uh, Save a Life. They should not rely on money from the government because if they did, they would have to do whatever the government says. Wherever the government money goes, you have to do what the government says concerning everything. And look at where our government is now. Our government believes that men can get pregnant. So wherever the government money goes, you have to do whatever the government says. You have a lot of churches that took the, those, uh, what we call those PPP loans. Back in 2020, when the government's handing out those, those loans, those pandemic loans or whatever they called them, you had a lot of churches who were taking those loans. But do you know that when you take the government's money, you have to do what the government says concerning everything. You receive any type of funding, you have to do what the government says. The church is not supposed to rely on the government to help out missionary organizations, Christian societies. Unfortunately, those societies don't receive enough money uh, to meet present demands. But they should look to the church as much as they can to help. And they uh, learn to be resourceful also. So when we neglect those obligations, the church is not able to make inroads in society. Israel would not be able to have an impact on the world around them if the word, the ministry of the word is being neglected. And that's kind of the overarching thing that we see taking place in this passage as to why Nehemiah uh, was indignant about that. After all, he worked for a pagan king. He was a cupbearer to a pagan king. But yet he was a man of integrity. And he cared about the house of God. He cared about the ministry of those men who served in the temple. And so this leads to our next principle that we see. Not only did they neglect God's servants, they misused the Lord's day. We see this in verses 14 through 22. So it's like, and another thing takes place. First he said, remember me, O my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds. This was a prayer of help from God. He wasn't asking God to remember because God doesn't forget anything. This was a cry out to God. He says, in those days, I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads, all kinds of animals bringing in stuff, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on that day, when they sold food. The people of Tyre also, who lived in the city, brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem itself. My Bible has an exclamation point right there. 
So what did he do? He confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, why is this evil thing, I'm sorry, what rather is this evil thing you are doing? Profaning the Sabbath day. Did not your fathers act in this way? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. In other words, you're making it worse. What are you doing, people? <laughs> so he was rightfully indignant. So, so far in chapter 13, what do we see? God's house was defiled, verses 1 through 9, we saw that. His ministers neglected, and now we see his day has been disgraced and disregarded. The Sabbath was to be kept holy. It was instituted as a day of rest from labors, burdens, buying, and selling. But these people were doing what on that day? Laboring, burdens, that means uh, had, had the beasts of burden working, the mules and the donkeys, had them carrying things, the oxen. And they were also what? Buying and selling. They were doing exactly what they were supposed to be resting from. And in case your memory betrays you, this is what the Lord said when he gave the Ten Commandments. Okay? Exodus 20 beginning at verse 8. This is the third commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Remember means to commemorate, not to just think about it in your mind. When it says remember, it's saying to, to commemorate it, to, to honor it. So this is what the third commandment says. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of who? The Lord, your God. Now, when God created the earth in six days, he rested on the seventh day. Now, God didn't rest because he was tired. <laughs> okay. Okay. God rested as an example to Israel. He was setting a pattern in creation. He was setting a pattern for man. That's what he was doing. He was setting a pattern. Okay? Too bad our world has forgotten about that, right? You have some people that have jobs that work seven days a week. Sorry, Phyllis. But the seventh day of the Sabbath of the Lord, in it you shall do no work. And then he goes on to uh, enumerate what kind of work they should not do. You nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle. That means all your animals, your beasts of burden. Nor your stranger who was within your gates. The people of Tyre were in their gates. They were selling and buying, as we saw in Nehemiah. They were not Jews, but they were still selling within their gates. He says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and hallowed it. Mm. It was to be kept holy. God instituted it for them. But what were they doing instead? They were buying, selling, 
laboring and carrying burdens in all kinds of loads as it says here they had foreigners selling on the Sabbath day man they just they just said forget it <laughs> I mean seriously so the breaking of the Sabbath also was one of the reasons as he said why their fathers were punished Jeremiah says as much in Jeremiah 17 and 21 thus says the Lord take heed to yourselves and bear no burden on the Sabbath day nor bring it into the gates of Jerusalem nor carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath nor do any work but hallow the Sabbath day as I commanded your fathers but they did not obey nor incline their ear but made their neck stiff that they might not hear or n receive instruction this is Jeremiah 17 21 through 23 God told them that but guess what their necks became stiff in other words they became rebellious they stiffened their necks at God stiffening your neck is basically saying I don't care what God says that's basically what it means and that's what the people did they misused the Sabbath and this was such a grave sin in Nehemiah's sight that it angered him and what was the problem in Nehemiah's eyes Raymond Brown says this he says on his return Nehemiah found that not only in the holy city but also in Judah's surrounding communities there was no appreciable attempt to keep the Sabbath special he said the seventh day was much like any other day this weekly outward sign of their commitment to God was no longer evident to an unbelieving neighbor excuse me but their disobedience to God's word I'm sorry by their disobedience to God's word he says they had come to worship the unseen idols of contemporary culture the invisible gods of humanism secularism materialism and pluralism had taken place of the only true God the occupation of the temple by Tobiah was Israel's sin in small in microcosm just as the Ammonites possessions had cluttered the temple and kept the Levites ministry at arm's length so materialistic interests had marginalized the Sabbath Gentile visitors to Jerusalem were no longer able to witness as before the devotion integrity and loyalty that was implied in the weekly act of worship and rest so this is what he's saying in a nutshell because they didn't take the Sabbath day special the foreigners wouldn't either God instituted the Sabbath for Israel because they were his special people it was one of the ways to distinguish the Jews from all the other pagans around them none of the other pagans had a Sabbath day a day of rest but God had a special and called out people who worshiped him by resting on the seventh day but what Israel was doing here was showing that they are no different from the pagans around them you don't expect the pagans to honor the Sabbath because guess what they're not Jews they're not God's people 
The foreigners are not bound by the Sabbath law, but they surely found a way to market to the Jews. So the Jews did not make this day holy. And think about as believers. Think about the witness of so-called Christians in our contemporary American society. I know people who claim to be, and I say claim, I say that exceedingly loosely. You have some people who claim to be Christian who are able to go to church, but they don't. They say something as foolish as, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. That's what they say. I know people who believe that. And my response is always, well, what makes you a Christian? What does Christian mean? It means Christ ones. Who is Christ? He is Lord. Who is Christ? He is the church. He is the bridegroom of the church. The church was established by Christ. So if you are a Christ one, how can you neglect to worship the one to whom the church is founded by? How can you say that with a straight face, that you don't have to go to church to be a Christian? Yet the church is Christ. Christ is the church. He is the head of the body, the church. How can you say you are a Christian, but you don't worship the head? Next time someone says that, ask them that question. How can you with a straight face say that you're a Christian, but you don't worship the head of the church who is Christ? By attending church with all the other redeemed in Christ, all those for whom Christ purchased with his blood, all those for whom are united together in this body. You have the nerve to say that you're a Christian, but you neglect to worship with the other Christians, that you neglect to worship the head of the church who is Jesus Christ. What kind of witness is that to a person who is an unbeliever? Of course, an unbeliever is going to think that they don't need church, right? Because they don't believe. They're pagans. You expect the pagan to say that. But someone who claims to be in Christ, someone who claims to be a Christ one. We say, ah, uh, no, it's it's not. It's not important. No, my friend, that is so wrong. But what is happening in our culture is we have this cultural Christianity. That's what I, I, I put down here, especially here in the South. You know, we was talking about this in one of our pastor meetings one time. Uh, I remember we was at lunch at uh, Frontera down there on 70s Close. Now, I remember I made this comment. I said, um, no, Carlton said this. The 
most difficult place to evangelize is in the South. Because everybody thinks they're a Christian. You hear a lot of people talk about the good Lord. They'll thank God when things good happen. They'll say, thank you, Jesus. They'll say, praise the Lord. My house didn't get blown away by a tornado or the Lord is good. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. They'll give all this attribution to God. But they don't set foot in the house of God. Their hearts haven't been, they haven't been regenerated. They're not born again. They have this cultural view of God that is just, it's just common. But I'm thinking that's kind of going away. You don't see that as much anymore. But that's the kind of witness that people are giving out to the world. And that is what concerned Nehemiah that not only are you violating the Sabbath, but you have foreigners in here doing it with you. There's no distinction. Where's the difference between God's people, God's redeemed, God's called out people, and these pagans? There's no distinction. There's no difference. What is this evil thing that you are doing profaning the Sabbath that he asked in verse 17? It was evil. It, it wasn't just a, a light thing that they were doing. It was evil that they were violating the Sabbath because they were violating one of the Ten Commandments of God. And also because this is the same thing that caused them to go into exile the first time. There was no distinction between the Jews and the pagans. Again, the Sabbath observance was one the separation, one of separation and one of a witness to the Gentiles. The Israelites from the surrounding cities and towns were no longer visiting the holy city to worship on the Sabbath, but to attend to the city's busy markets in order to buy and sell their produce up and down the crowded streets. Think about what kind of terrible witness this was to pagans. They had abandoned their visible sign of, of loyalty and uh, witness to the Lord. And the Gentiles, who were mostly pagans, were not able to distinguish or discern the differences between the Israelite believers and the people from other countries and cultures. They weren't able to distinguish it. Why? Because the Israelites were acting just like the pagans. Don't you hate when you see that among Christians or so-called Christians when they're acting like pagans? It just, it's, it's cringeworthy that some don't even think about their witness. And it's not about putting on a show for people because that witness comes from a, a born-again uh, life. But for those who don't even live like that, like they are born again, but yet they claim to be Christian, if that's what Christianity is, I don't want that. 
I remember being in school. Uh, when I, uh, you know, when I was in uh, high school, and like I said, I was a pretend Christian. And I remember classic amazing man who, who claimed to be Christian. I'm like, man, y'all do that? They let y'all do that? <laughs> Carry on like that at school and, and, and out in public? Going out Friday night, Saturday night, getting drunk as a high school kid and, and jumping up in church the next morning, shouting on Sunday morning? And then going Sunday night doing the same thing? That was a bad witness. And that was Nehemiah's concern for these people. That they were not separating themselves from the pagans. And this is a good reason for us as believers to keep the Lord's Day uh, holy. The importance of our Christian witness. The necessity of, of resting. Now again, we live in a fallen and sinful world where our employers don't think about those things. But even in our heart, we should keep the Lord's day holy because that's where it begins. It begins in our hearts. What do we think of this day? Do we think it's just another day of the week like all the other days? Or do we think something special of this day? We should think something special of this day because it is the day where the church gathers around the world because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The church met on the first day of the week. So the uh, Sunday should be a day of anticipation as we look forward to it each week because guess what? We're going to worship God. We're going to praise God. We're going to love and serve each other on the day that God appointed for the church to gather. That is what animates us. That's, that, sh that is what should uh, excite us about meeting on the Lord's Day, meeting on Sunday. Amen. So in application, I just have two quick questions just to think about in what ways have we neglected to take care of God's church and his servants financially? Just something to, to think about. And how we prioritize materialism over giving above and beyond uh, to God's work through his church. And we always have to stop and think about that from time to time are we negligent in those uh, areas if so how can we uh, do better and then in what ways can we renew our commitment to the priority of worship on the Lord's day I know lots of people and I know you all do too there are a lot of people I invite to church they say they used to go to church or they left for church you know so forth and so on and you know Hey, come check us out at 1030 on Sunday morning, you know, so forth and so on. I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. Only only do I do a three strikes year out policy. I don't beg people. I just don't. I don't. I don't. I used to. But that was too heartbreaking for me. So I stopped begging people years ago, probably about five, six, seven years ago. I stopped begging people. I just say, you know, hey, come check us out. You know where we are across from. Cadillac dealership, blah, blah, begin at 1030. We got Bible study Wednesday night. Okay, I'm coming. I'll see you. I can't tell you how many people. If, if, I, if the number of people that told me that they were coming Sunday, we would be in a new building. <laughs> okay. 
I mean, we would be. We would be in a new building. Well, all these seats to be filled, we had to have the rest of them out here. But what I know as a principle is this. The more a person stops going to church, the harder it's going to be for them to come back. Because this is, this is how Satan works. This is how deception works, okay? You begin to fill your Sunday with other things. If you don't have a certain pattern or rhythm to your life, then guess what? Sundays are going to become just another day to do, catch up on cutting your grass or fixing, working in your garden or basically like a catch-up day. Or day where I'm just tired. I just don't want to go today. And that'll turn from one Sunday a month to two Sundays a month to three Sundays a month to a whole month to people to see you every now and then till they won't see you at all. And with me, it'll be out of sight, out of mind. And that's what happens. I, I've seen it happen in, my, in not just here, but other church I was at for 20 years, same thing. It's, it's a pattern. When you don't have that, that rhythm of worshiping on the Lord's day and prioritizing the Lord's day, then guess what? You're just going to fade away. When last time you talked to, you know, such and such? There are people like that. But there has to be a commitment that starts where? In the heart about the Lord's day. People can have all the good intentions they want to. I heard a man say one time, the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. God's not going to say, well done, uh, your good intentions. He's <laughs> not going to say, well done, you servant who had good intentions. No, he's going to say, well done, good and what? Faithful servant. Not faithful to making good intentions or faithful to having good intentions, but not acting on them. So let us pray and let us pray for others who are in that predicament and let us pray that our hearts don't become that way where we don't prioritize giving and where we don't prioritize the Lord's day worship. Amen. Amen. Let us pray as we close. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We see where the service were neglected. We see where the Lord's day was not honored. Father, I pray for us that we consider that in our own hearts. That we let us examine ourselves. I pray for us as a church that we consider that also. And Lord, mostly let us consider Christ who gave his all for us. And Lord, for you who gave your all, who gave your son for us, for our sins. And Lord, let us honor your church. Let us love your church. Let us serve your church. Let us love the faithful, love the brethren. Let us, Father, continue to cultivate hearts that love, honor, and serve your church to your glory. In Christ's name I pray, amen.